Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Gnosticism. Yes, good old Gnosticism, or should we say bad old (laughs) Gnosticism. Probably what most people would understand as the, I would say, the strongest fight that the early church had against them. And it's something that, as we're going to be seeing throughout this episode, it's something that quite clearly has not given up. And Satan has used Gnosticism for many, many years in many, many different facets. And I want to quote the preface for a book written in the second century called Against Heresies on the Detection and Overthrow of the So-Called Gnosis, or that which is falsely called knowledge. And this quote is from an early church father known as Irenaeus. And I think this is probably one of my favorite quotes from the early church, and it sets forth a really good understanding in the very preface for one of the most monumental works, a systematic breakdown of the beliefs of Gnostics. And this is how he started it. Error indeed is never set forth in its naked deformity, lest being thus exposed. It should at once be detected. But it is craftily decked out in an attractive dress so as by its outward form to make it appear to the inexperience more true than truth itself. And this, as I said, written in a preface before he would get into all the different ways, not only Valentinius, but Marcion and so forth, and all the different ways and different wicked teachings that they had and how they mutilated the scriptures and so forth, before he got into that, he started to let you know that those who are untaught, this will catch you off guard. This will sneak in, and it will try to make itself seem more truth than truth itself. And when we get into Gnosticism as a whole, this secret knowledge, as it were, One of the things that we need to recognize is that it is quite deceptive. And when it comes to the day in which we live today, where people are all the time looking for how they can have a secret knowledge, how they can have more knowledge than the person next to them, when we all have Google and so forth, it's really interesting that we see that this is a philosophy, this is a heresy that has been around for a very, very long time. And you know what? In all honesty, there's nothing new under the sun. Satan has his schemes, and he uses them. And Gnosticism is one way that he's used them, and we've seen it over and over and over again peek his ugly head out in different forms. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Gnosticism today. I have a clip from our video Hollywood's War on God, that we're going to be playing at length because Joe does a really good job of describing what Gnosticism is as a whole for us to have a good overview of it. So what I want to show 
are some of the implications before we even get into the overview of what Gnostics believed. And one of the things we need to get out of the way right away is the fact that Gnostics were very fragmented in their beliefs. Gnostics in the early church, when the church was around, when the church was battling against these heretics, Gnosticism once wasn't some unified doctrine that they said, hey, this is a codified, unified understanding of Scripture. When we see that the early church over and over again would try to make everything a public confession, would try to make sure that when it came to the Scriptures, we're told that one of the reasons that they started out with creeds was that for those who were too poor to have or too uneducated and unable to read, to have the Scriptures for themselves— that these creeds and understandings would get them to a place where they could have a quick understanding of what the Bible teaches. Now, that's far different than from having this secret knowledge, this gnosis. And what's interesting is when we look at Gnostics, and we talk about incipient Gnosticism, and when we talk about that, we're talking about something along the lines of like a docetism, which you might see talked about in the scriptures. Or somebody might even say that that person has a docetic view concerning Christ in terms of his deity. Because what takes place a lot of times is people will try to get away from the human nature of Christ in the hypostatic union. And so people will do that by and not even realize it and be having a docetic Viewpoint, and I believe Docetism, that philosophy, and really it is, it's a mixture of, of different philosophies and so forth, is the version of incipient Gnosticism that we see in even warned about in the New Testament in 1 John chapter 2, warning about those who would say that Christ did not come in the flesh. Think about 1 John right in the very beginning when we're reading it, and remember, and I, and I want to I want to piece this together real quick. Okay, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation, John himself had a disciple by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp had a disciple by the name of Irenaeus, who we're reading what I just read from, where we get a lot of our understanding of what the church was going to going through when battling these falsely called Gnosis, these, these Gnostics in the early church. And so when we get that and we get that understanding of who they are and this battle they're going against, it is Irenaeus who said, who basically said Polycarp is the one who explained it to him and that John was writing against these Gnostics. And now we would say that the Gnostics were fragmented in the sense that they didn't have a clear understanding. You had those who followed, obviously, Manny, and that where we have Manichaeanism. We had those who followed Marcion, or as if you're reading through some of the writings of Irenaeus, you might see him written about as Marcos. And when you see these things and you see what they believe and some of the things that they practice, it's really, really very interesting. But they're very fragmented. And one of the things that has been untrue and a lie uh, that has been passed down was basically that the Gnostics and the what we would consider Orthodox teaching, that they were pretty much on level footing. And these and and you know what they were pretty much on level footing and basically the non Gnostics the Orthodox position now just won the debate but there were hallmarks so we knew without a doubt that these Gnostics did not hold to the same teachings as the ones of Scripture in the early church when it came to their extra writings that they had the Gospels of Peter right and Judas and Mary Magdalene and so forth 
the infancy gospel of Thomas, which we'll read a little bit from, when we see these things, there are hallmarks to show you they're not Christian. One of them would be the esoteric nature. One of them would be not only that, but also the point that they would push away Jesus coming in the flesh because Gnostics did believe as a whole that the the entire, ma- all of matter was actually evil. And Joe's going to get more into that, so I don't need to dig into that too much. But one of the things that they would do is they wanted something new, similar in Acts chapter 17, when it talks about specifically those uh, in different philosophies, that they were always looking for something new, right, over there in, on Mars Hill. And so they were able to take in Paul's message and so forth. And that was true of the Gnostics as well. And so what they wanted was a new religion where they could piecemeal and buffet some of the philosophy, whether it was Platonic philosophy and so forth. And they wanted some of that and then to blend it in with Christianity. And they wanted Jesus to be something new. So Marcion said the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, that they're different, right? That they're actually different. And so we can know right away, anyone that would get away from the God of the Old Testament We know without a doubt that person was not somebody that was of the same fold as Paul, Peter, and the disciples, and of course, more importantly, Jesus. And I want to show a couple of things that they would do, because a lot of people don't really, don't recognize just how wicked they were and some of the ways they took captive even women. In Against Heresies, book one, chapter 13, he says this, moreover, that this Marcus, speaking of Marcion, compounds, filters, and love potions in order to insult the persons of some of these women, if not of all. Those of them who have returned to the church of God, a thing which frequently occurs, having acknowledged, confessing too, that they have been defiled by him and that they were filled with a burning passion towards him. A sad example of this occurred in the case of a certain Asiatic, one of our own deacons, who had received him, Marcus, into his house. His wife, a woman of remarkable beauty, fell a victim both in mind and body to this magician, and for a long time traveled about with him. At last, when, with no small difficulty, the brethren had converted her, she spent her whole time in the exercise of public confession, weeping over and over and lamenting the defilement which she had received from this magician. This sexual nature of going after women is exactly what he was doing there, Marcion was doing. And isn't that so common with cult leaders? And I do believe that Second John tells us, there, there's an interesting text. I want to read from it. Second John, it's such a small letter, but Second John uh, 7 through 11, verses 7 through 11, it says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. You know, when I first read that, reading through the New Testament, I remember specifically it saying, hey, someone comes with a different teaching, don't invite him in, and so forth. And I'm like, okay. And I actually set up a a little place right outside my house 
where on a weekly basis I would meet with the Mormons and I would share the gospel with them. And I thought, well, I don't want to welcome them in the house because this verse. But when you see how Marcion was taking women captive in this way, it's really, really interesting that we were given that warning specifically regarding letting someone into your house with this kind of teaching and making sure that we don't get caught up in that. And you know, it's interesting when we think about the reach of Gnostics, not just back then and how they would come and captivate women and so forth as Marcion was doing, but when we look back and we see not only in modern times with Dan Brown and the mutilation of history that he did in the Da Vinci Code, and a lot of uh, Hollywood's War on Guard, our video that you can get on goodfight.org, and I'll have Josh put it, a, put it in the description as well that you can check that out. A lot of the things that we see that are going on concerning the, the I guess, the popularization of Gnosticism is this esoteric understanding, is this secret knowledge that they have more knowledge than you and they have this secret knowledge that you don't understand in your contemporary Christian churches and so forth. But really what they have is just, just blatant lies. They have misinformation. They do not have the truth. And the truth is not in them. And so let's, I, I want to look at this clip here in a second. But before we do, I want to point out that not only Dan Brown, before we get into that, but actually, I do believe specifically that Muhammad himself had information from Gnostic texts concerning who Jesus was. And in fact, I believe, without a doubt, he actually stole from those texts and put them in the Quran. Because if we look at the Arabic gospel of the infancy of the Savior, here's a, here's a verse, okay? It says, he has said that Jesus spoke, and indeed, when he was lying in his cradle, said to Mary, his mother, I am Jesus, the Son of God, the Lagos, whom thou hast brought forth, as the angel Gabriel announced to thee, and my Father has sent me for the salvation of the world. Interesting. You have baby Jesus in the cradle talking. We don't see any of that in the Gospels whatsoever, right? We never see that. So where on earth? In the Quran, Surah 19, 29 through 34. But she pointed to the babe. They said, how can we talk to one who is a child in the cradle? He said, I am indeed a servant of Allah. He hath given me revelation and made me a prophet. And he hath made me blessed wheresoever I be and hath enjoined me on me prayer and charity as long as I live. Hath made me kind to my mother and not overbearing or miserable. So peace is on me the day I was born and the day that I die. Huh, that's interesting. I guess Muslims don't uh, like that. If you guys don't know, Muslims do not believe that Jesus actually died on the cross, but nonetheless, and the day that I shall be raised up to life again. Oh, there's the resurrection too. Sorry. Yes, the Quran does teach the resurrection even if they don't want to. Such was Jesus, the son of Mary, a statement of truth about which they vainly dispute. Now, guess what? That's not the only thing. In the infancy gospel of Thomas, now these are Gnostic texts. These are not the texts of the New Testament. There's nothing, they're the people that were actually there. Remember that the early church, when it talked about some of these letters, they would say the ink is yet is still not dry on some of these letters because the gospels had already been written. They were all written in the first century in the time of the apostles, okay? That was how they were part of scripture and these would never have been. In the infancy gospel of Thomas, it says this, this little child Jesus, when he was five years old, was playing at the ford of a brook 
And he gathered together the waters that flowed there into pools and made them straightway clean and commanded them by his word alone. And having made soft clay, he fashioned therefore 12 sparrows. So he turned clay into sparrows. And it was the Sabbath when he did these things or made them. And there were also many little children playing with him at the time. Surah 5, 110. And on judgment day, Allah will say, O Jesus, son of Mary, or Isa is what it should say uh, from their Quran, remember my favor upon you and your mother, how I supported you with the Holy Spirit. So you spoke to people in your infancy and adulthood, how I taught you writing wisdom and the Torah and the Gospels, how you molded a bird from clay by my will and breathed into it, and it became a real bird by my will. So I do believe that the Gnostics even had an effect on whoever wrote the Quran, specifically on the story of Jesus. And if you read the the story of Jesus when it comes to the Quran, they call him Isa in the Quran. When you read the story of Jesus, it's not really a person. Jesus becomes an argument. When you read the Gospels, you can't get around it. Jesus is a person, without a doubt. This is a, these are biographical sketches of a person. It's not like the Gospel of Thomas, which is supposed to be the earliest attestation of these false uh, pseudobiographical uh, Gospels. Those are just sayings of Jesus, some of them stolen from the actual New Testament text. But when we look at these things, we say, what on earth is this? So I just wanted to point that out because not only do we have it in modern times with the Da Vinci Code and so forth, we get people so excited. You know, we have the gospel of Jesus's wife. And then you find out it was a fraud, an absolute fraud. But people don't care. They just think, oh, you know, Jesus was married. I saw it on the Da Vinci Code. Right? There's little Jesus is running around somewhere, the ancestors of Jesus and so forth. It's just not true. It's not true. We have these bio- biographies for a reason, and we have four of them just to be made sure. And then we also have all of the the writings as well, not all of, but the writings that we're supposed to have that God has given us through Paul and Peter and so forth. So I want Joe, because I do believe this clip is really, really important, and I want Joe in this clip to describe to you just what Gnosticism is, I guess, in a quick and orderly fashion. The best way to refute the Gnostic Gospels is just to look at them and realize how ridiculous they really are. In fact, what the Gnostic Gospels teach is that matter, the physical world, is actually evil. In fact, it's interesting how they come to that because they actually operate from what we can call an inverted hermeneutic, a hermeneutic whereby they go to the Old Testament and turn everything upside down. In fact, the Gnostics taught that the God that created the world, the physical world, the physical universe, is an evil God. They taught that Yahweh or Jehovah is a wicked, monstrous God. In fact, they taught the real God was the ultimate death. And he had a series of emanations that that emanated off of him, one of them being Sophia. And that Sophia wanted to get back to him, but she became frustrated and angry with him. Because she couldn't get back to him because it was forbidden to know him. And then in her frustration, she had a type of abortion. She, she created Yahweh. And realizing that she had created a monstrous God, as the Gnostics taught, she cast him out of the cosmos into a remote uh, area of the cosmos. Now, Yahweh was there alone. He was considered to be an ignorant God with great power, not knowing there were any gods before him. And he, therefore, created the physical universe, humanity, the earth. And therefore, the Gnostics teach that we are actually the product of an evil God and that he was cast out of heaven. Do you see the inversion there? Instead of Satan being cast out of heaven, 
by the creator of the world and the universe, God is cast out of heaven. And God becomes the devil in Gnosticism. In fact, it's interesting because Gnosticism teaches that Sophia, the goddess that was made by the ultimate depth, became the savior. How did she become the savior? She recognized what she had done by creating Yahweh and then him creating the physical universe and trapping us within this matrix. So what Sophia set out to do was let Adam and Eve know that they really had a spark of divinity within them because they were ultimately transmitted from her and the ultimate depth. She channels the serpent in the garden with a message, ye shall be as gods. Now Genesis chapter 3 tells us it was Satan. And Gnostics can call Satan by Sophia or any other name, but Satan by any other name is still that old devil. And Gnosticism was used way after uh, the Old Testament was written. And the Old Testament account of what happened was inverted to get people to turn from the true God, the Creator, to Satan. In National Geographic's glorification of the Gospel of Judas, they acknowledged that it was written by Gnostics and that Gnostics believed that the Creator is evil and that the serpent is the real hero. The Gnostics were mystics. That is to say, they were people that felt they could have some kind of direct access to God. The word Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. But this kind of knowledge is not everyday knowledge. It is not book learning. It is insight. It is intuition. It is that ability to know something about yourself, to know that you have a spark of the divine inside of you, and to recognize the God that you profess to be the God that is outside is the same as that spark of the divine that is within you. The Gnostics were convinced that the serpent in the Garden of Eden was a good figure. In fact, the Gnostics turned the story of the Garden of Eden upside down because the serpent was a rather engaging character. After all, the serpent said to Eve, take some of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And to Gnostics, that sounded like a wonderful invitation. Wouldn't you like to have a bite of an apple of knowledge and have all the juice of knowledge in your being? The Gospel of Judas uses familiar scenes to convey unfamiliar ideas. One day, he was with his disciples in Judea, and he found them gathered together and seated in pious observance. When he approached his disciples, offering a prayer of thanksgiving over the bread, he laughed. Jesus comes upon the group of disciples when they are celebrating together what looks to be a sacred meal. Maybe it's kind of like the Eucharist. And uh, they're offering a prayer of thanksgiving over the bread, and Jesus laughs. In fact, in the Gospel of Judas, Jesus laughs a great deal. He's laughing because they think that they're worshiping the true God, but in fact they have it wrong. They're worshiping the God who created this world, who's not the true God. The only one who understands is Judas. To the Gnostics, the God who created Earth wasn't worthy of worship. If you really want to believe the Gnostic Gospels, which turn the God of the universe, the creator of all the beauty that we've seen, into the devil, and then venerate Satan in the garden as he spoke to Eve? Do you really want to commit spiritual suicide? I think it's important that we understand that the Word of God tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 9, 
that uh, that old serpent called the devil and Satan was cast down and his angels were cast down with him and that he deceives the whole world. Tragically, uh, many Gnostic teachings, which are truly satanic at their core, are finding their way through not only literature like Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code and a plethora of other books on Gnosticism and, and uh, supposed relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene, but also through an abundance of Hollywood movies. In fact, many of Hollywood's most memorable movies push this whole Gnostic theme in preparation for the very delusion we've been warning you about. In fact, the internet is rife with a plethora of websites that encourage young and old to get into Gnosticism. And many people don't have a clue what Gnosticism at its core teaches. Here we are at a popular Gnostic website, www.enemies.com. In fact, here we see a depiction of Jesus upon the cross, which says that he died for our sins. However, when you put your little cursor over the depiction of Jesus, his chest splits open and out props a serpent because a real object of Gnostic veneration is Satan. In fact, to the right, on the very front page of the website, we read this. The Gnostic Friends Network is a virulent anti-Christian outpouring. It takes the Gnostic belief that the world was the work of the devil and turns it into a charter for devil worshiping that has the shrill sensation seeking of a latter-day Aleister Crowley. Nobody in their right mind would just simply fall down and worship Satan knowing that they would spend eternity in torment. However, that's why Satan has to come with myths, tries to put a spin on himself where he presents himself as Sophia or Pan or some other being and still receives the worship. In fact, many scholars believe that Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Timothy to combat a satanic Gnostic threat that was already attacking the church. In fact, Paul tells Timothy in 1st Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 that he's to stay there and make sure certain people don't teach strange doctrines and myths and genealogies. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he says that the Holy Spirit speaks expressly, that the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Many scholars point out that Paul had referenced Gnosticism specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 6 when he closes his epistle in verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and in doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. When Paul speaks of this counterfeit knowledge, this so-called knowledge, he actually uses the Greek word gnosis. It's from the word gnosis that we get the word to know. It means knowledge. It actually is a reference to the tree of knowledge of good and evil when Gnostics speak of it. It's a reference to that hidden knowledge that the serpent gave or that Sophia or Satan gave when they found out we were gods. As you are discovering, the Da Vinci Code is actually a resurrection of the ancient lie way back in Eden with the first human family, whereby Satan said, Ye shall be as gods. The Lord Jesus Christ calls Satan the father of lies. And no wonder, because all the way back in Genesis, thousands of years before the Gnostics even came to existence, God had warned mankind. And it's there, long before the Gnostics ever were even able to twist the book of Genesis, that we see Satan seeking to deceive mankind. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. 
For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. When the Apostle Paul speaks of the mystery of iniquity, the satanic powers that are at work to bring forth the ultimate Antichrist, he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9-12, through 12, he says, Even him whose coming is in accord with the work of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. They perish, he says, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And God gives them over to a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all might be damned who did not receive the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I think one of the cool things is you're getting this little clip, and this clip was taken out from our video, Hollywood's War on God, which you can get on goodfight.org, and, and Josh will also put this in the description. But I think also with that clip, if you want to re-watch it in its entirety, we'll also put that in the description as well. But I think one of the most important things is that we hold on to the truth, that we don't get thrown off and taken in by every wind of doctrine, but that we would know who Christ is, know what the true gospel is, and that we would cling to him, the author and finisher of our faith, and love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, and love them enough to share this truth with them. God bless you guys. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at PO Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.